Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to season six. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss this application. I'll hand over to our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm uh, Dan Lysett, the Director of Sport at St. Davis College, uh, and also coaching RTC under 18 hoops. Hi, I'm Ross Williams, uh, also work with Dan at St. Davis College, and uh, I've taken on the project of RGC Women as well with Dan. So, uh, the lucky boy. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Fellas, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much for giving up your time. Uh, really looking forward to this. I have to say, um, massive, massive fans of the stuff you guys put out on, on social media. I genuinely think, um, you know, maybe changing the face of PE for the better, which is, uh, I always sit there and sat in an office, you know, at a laptop and I'm looking at it going, I wish my piece, like I, I'd have said, I'd have had pretty good PE sessions. I don't think they compare to what I'm watching on the clips of what you guys are putting out there. So it's, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Keen to see what's kind of underpinning that. And uh, I'm sure a little bit of that a little bit later. So, um, yeah, Dan, we're going to come to you first. What is it you're going to chat to us about? Um, so I read uh, a bit of a long title, but uh, it's a podcast. I don't want to show the picture. Um Wayfinding, the science and mystery of how humans navigate the world. Um, so we got onto this one, uh, probably people were mentioning in, in gold, uh, and we did a lot of stuff around um, ecological uh, dynamics. And I was kind of interested in how people navigated in a literal sense, but also, you know, how that would then influence, you know, the, the passage of learning. And to be honest, you know, it's difficult because you get qualified as a teacher, you do your degree, uh, you think you've learned stuff there, and then you go and do your PGC, uh, you get your little hat, and they roll you off the, the conveyor belt, and I'm ready to teach. And I don't know, I near my tenure in my last school, I started to kind of question how we delivered physical education. And, and, I'll, and I'll use those terms, you know, interchangeably because I see coaching or any form of learning as the same principle and I start to think if the system isn't really right we're measuring things wrong why do we have to learn in in this linear fashion why does it have to be a hard and fast set of rules why am I filling up some vessel with knowledge um surely I can go to the drinks cabinet or whatever and select my own drink and pour my own measures um, so that it started there, and then I started at St. David's College, um, and at the same time did some uh, work with RGC under 16s, and started to kind of think, again, there's a different approach, and um, the ecological dynamics kind of thing popped in, and non-linear pedagogy popped in, and, and this is where the book came in, and it was, it was the fact that um, we have a reliance on being given information, and that that, that sole that is the sole gift, and that someone um, knows better than the learner uh, how they learn. And I think we miss a point. Of, and then it really, it should be around exploration and creating narratives so people can learn. Uh, so, in reality, it kind of underpinned my thought process on environment creation. So if we create really cool environments 
where we can adapt and modify that we can elicit the learning we want. So um, a bit like they talked in the beginning, they talk about Alaska and the fact that these frozen tundras are flat and completely faceless to the, to the author. But when navigating them on their uh, sledges, sledges? Yeah. Sledge? Yeah. sledge, yeah, that, that they could, by the, the change of the wind direction, the time of year, that the peaks and the snow will be different. Uh, when certain uh, conditions were underneath the ice, that the ice would be in a different formation. So they were constantly learning from the environment they're in, the information they needed to navigate that place. It seems really nuanced when we're talking about rugby or football coaching, but in reality, let's let's take that away and say, hang on, rather than just putting in a GPS navigation, I'm going to get from A to B. So if I take that away, how am I supposed to remember? How am I how will I learning about that direction of travel of being embedded? Um, same thing, and the, the one that really resonated was, um, you know, they talked about uh, history being uh, passed down and, and Aboriginals using this kind of uh, uh, dream-catching sense of, of navigation and the stories they told being passed down to navigate these vast expanses. Again, really kind of like, there's nothing there. But they were able to, to manoeuvre via, they thought about the stars, but it's, it's these stories they told about how to get there. And it's allowed us to create a really rich basis for learning. And for us, it's and it allows us to individualize all the learning because what's one narrative or story for one player who's, who needs to work on their positional sense of footwork might be very different from a player in a similar position who needs to work on ball presentation and power through a carry. And then you've got the wider sense of how was the team going to play and where do you want them to work towards? So I think constantly thinking about the changing sense of the environment and then how we impart that to our learners, it's just key. It's not a script, you know, it's not a tick box and, and it kills learning by saying, I'm going to measure you by some you know, spurious levels. Um, as it Karen Adolf talked about, um, you know, markers, for development, but where's that, where's these markers coming from? It's coming from you know white middle class America. We can't judge anyone by the same measurement. So it's important. We thought you you talked about the girls you coach. You know you've got some who will have had X experience in environment from B, but you're you're trying to put them together to move to towards C. We have to work on those environments and the narratives that create that learning. So. I would definitely say anybody who's interested in understanding the process of learning, it seems very abstract, but it's a, it's a great book and a really good read, uh, even though Ross didn't finish it all. Um, he, will, he said he will finish it. I told him there were pictures and I lied. I come skipping in, I'm like, this is age, you've got to listen to this. You know, you know talking about like oral history, they, they thought it was X thousand years old and then they realised that the Aboriginals have been using this stuff since they landed and they've gone from effectively northern Australia down and, and, and that these spaces were, you know, wastelands, but they weren't. It was a rich tapestry. It's just, it, it made me feel really good about how we can make our environments rich and purposeful, even when we're looking at, you know, just trying to impart skills around engaging in 
any sport. It, it, it was, it was, yeah, it, it is my Bible, I think, probably. I love that. Do, do you think that's about careful of the language? Is it about capturing <coughs> maybe the curriculum culture? Do you know what I mean? If schools have traditionally just gone, I understand why there is a curriculum. Like there's some benefits for it. I completely get that. You couldn't just let every school deliver anything they wanted. Um, I mean, you could, it would be different, but I, I just wonder if there's, is, do you think that's where we've ended up with this markers and measurements and assessments? And, and as you said, filling empty vessels because the curriculums dominate that experience of PE and sport initially. And it's kind of then drip fed out from there or, or different experience for you guys? I don't, don't think uh, that takes into account the nuances of the culture that exists in everybody's environment. Um, that's the same whether it's a sports team or, or a, an educational establishment. Uh, so the, the curriculum is widespread, but is there room, whilst there might be some key landmarks to use some of the language from the book, um, that everybody should have knowledge of. Um, does the route to navigate that space and those landmarks need to be uh, universal across everybody? And I, I think that's where there's potentially some room to, to give the autonomy back to the, the school or the club or the coach to say, well, these, are, these are our principles and these are our landmarks, but the journey for the individual is going to be completely individual uh, and unique to them. Um, so that's where I think, you know, we're, we're looking at what are the principles, how can we learn to learn, but then tailoring that to, to everybody's unique experience is really important. How, how do you go about doing that? So let's kind of, I guess, stay with the micro level kid, you know, class of 30 odd kids, because this, I mean, it's still something I struggle and I've been trying to do it for 20 years, how you differentiate really effectively and manage when there's one of you and there's 30 different experiences and there's 30 different, you know, individuals in that group. Like, how do you guys go about enabling that to be something that can happen either through planning or organically? Like where, where do you find the balance? How do you overcome the fact that you can't have a one-to-one -one with all of those individuals in, in that moment? I think um, awareness of who and what you're coaching is important or teaching. And, um, also, having understanding that it's a direction, it doesn't have to be, as long as I get that way, we're good to go. So I think that that helps us because we, we don't have a, a set of checklists or, or parameters. Everything is based on engagement. So if, if Phil is like, comes to us in year seven, it's, it's proper anti-PE and nothing. And we would use what we come on to in Ross's books with some of the techniques you learned there to ascertain what they will engage with. And what we say is, is there's all this provision. There's all this available to you, yeah? The whole, the whole sweetie shop. What you want to engage in is up to you. But what we would say is, is everyone is capable of, of moving along and towards this end, this end product. So that, that's the first one. So we know success isn't having Phil playing first 11 football and cricket. It's, it's, it's all individualized. Next is we've used some real subtleties within lessons. So we have uh, we talk about psychological safety a lot and the ability to, to not engage. So uh, we we would have kids that maybe aren't aren't engaging. So we create what we did. We didn't create. We listened to other stuff and stole their ideas and used them. Uh, thinking in boxes, for instance. So 
helping kids regulate. So they'll, they'll be able to step out of a session, go to that box. So one, they've regulated themselves. That's a massive win because uh, they're recognising. Two, they're in that box. We can then see that. And then three, whether we're using structure boards or an individual to go over and discuss with them what, what the issue is, again, using some of the stuff that Russell talked about, allows them to come back in. The next part is you can disengage in the lesson because you don't have to be in sole control. We're not a puppet master. We've yeah. created an environment where they're managing themselves. There are some sessions we've had with, you know, sevens, eights and nines where I don't need to be there really. They're, they're, they're autonomous, they're self-regulated. We talk about self-determination, they're self, they're, they're motivated to a certain point, but they're running the show. So again, that's how you can create it. So it's, you have to just almost shake the snow globe and go, it isn't a traditional approach. So we don't have to be blowing the whistle and telling them X, Y, Z. You create a situation where there is their PE lesson. Um, and the others is using those constraints that we'll all have used to, to try and uh, engage. I know we've used stuff, you know, little side missions. Uh, we may have a kid, you know, tiny, doesn't want to really play contact rugby. We can say, right, okay, uh, can I give you a mission? You, you, you can't, and it could be, if you can make 10 tags in the next five minutes, your team will win 100 points. I need you to communicate that with your team so we're engaging it back in. Yeah, that, that bit of belonging. And, and then they're engaged and you can see that level of self-esteem raise. And then it might be the next time, I don't mind having a good tackle, but I don't want to be tackled. And we can build that in because, again, it's all about individualised progress, not are you hitting these key markers that everyone should be doing because you're on your own path because it isn't linear. So just thinking about listening to what you said there, I understand all the nuances of it, <laughs> but I feel some people fall down the first hurdle when they listen to stuff they have to go You have to embrace the chaos to start off with. It's going to look a bit messy. And um and that's good because learning by dancers is not linear. Um, but I, I feel that as a coach, sometimes you will see that and then you'll start to panic and you start to uh, question what your role is and, and uh, are they learning? Do I have control? What, how can I measure this? And, and it does take uh, some humility and, and some bravery to go, actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back here and, and let this emerge and then I'm going to make those real meaningful interventions and I'm going to notice stuff and then I'm going to step in and have those conversations. It's amazing what the kids will be able to do when we remove ourselves as the most important important part of the process. Um, but, but that is something that we all have to go through, I feel, uh, to, to take this on and start trying some of this stuff practically. I think that's really powerful. I absolutely love that. How, um, how much loaded question i guess how much easier do you think this might be in a school environment where i guess it's slightly more controlled and it's slightly more um it's less in the public eye and and the reason i ask that is i i talk to a lot of coaches and i think they they would say a lot of the time and i'd see it on social media there's there's a perception of what coaching is and if you are delivering a session in public arguably like with parents around on a pitch lots of people are watching you, you have to be seen to be doing the role of the coach, inverted commas. So I just wonder, do you think that does make a difference for you guys, that you're slightly more removed from that 
it's just you and the kids. There isn't, unless the head teacher's looking out the window going, what, what are those who do and have a coffee while kids are just, you know, yeah. running all over the school. Did you think there's a difference there? Like is, is some of that us managing public opinion rather than actually investing in the pedagogy of how we deliver? I think um, we, we played a touring team from uh, Blackpool and seven, eight combined. And uh, the PE staff ran a session with all the kids whilst we just rotate the kids on because everybody wanted to play but the parents were watching so the parents got to see what effectively was our approach hands-on um and there was definitely no complaints i don't think uh, but but i'd say i'll say i coached my daughter's team she's a rugby player and i before anyone says i did try everything before rugby she just pushed back so that's, that's not me pushing her but their coach walked well walked away from the game in lockdown, and I took over. But like you say, you have all the parents literally stood on the side of the pitch, and I explained my approach. I also said my metric for success isn't winning, and as soon as we placed that in there, and I would say for so many coaches and parents that as soon as that is your sole measurement for success, everything else that's good that isn't guided towards that seems to go out the window. And, it, and I think if we can change that, and not, not this not this everyone wins the medal stuff, et cetera, but are we seeing progress? I might have 13 kids who are playing in that team at the moment. Not all of them will want to progress, but are they coming back to my sessions? Yes. Are they happy when they finish the game? Yes. And we use, you know, I use the bingo boards. And I even set them little tasks, like talk, write someone down a piece of paper for mum and dad would like to do, put it in their pocket, talk about on the, on the car ride home um it, and it, as soon as you can change their perception of what winning is it's massive you know we played a team last week like you know score wise it was, it was, it was you know a cricket score we got thumped but we these kids are coming back and their coach recognized that that, that was the situation we'll, we'll modify it next time says i love what what you're doing i see what you're doing and, you know, and it allows us then to have those communications with other coaches say, well, winning isn't our metric. They can see how we referee games and we can permeate this approach because a 10-year-old is not going to remember the score next week, let alone in, uh, when they're, if they carry on. So I think it, that metric is so, so important. The measurement of success is not just... I'd say even anything below our under-18s at school, they don't even know what the scores are. Because it's only important. Are you playing good rugby? Are you doing the things you want to do? And are you having fun? We're winning, aren't we? Yeah. It, it is hard, though, when, you, when you're managing those perceptions. <laughs> but I think it's just, it, it, it's that, it goes back to that embracing the chaos. It will emerge eventually. You've just got to back the process. And it's going to take people like us and your podcast field just to keep on being really open about this and, and happy to share and, and explain um, for more coaches to feel empowered to, to give it a try. And, and like Dan says, when the parents start to notice the behavioral changes from their kids and, you know, that, that's going to be the most powerful sell. And, and, but, but it's going to take us to feel confident enough to persevere with it. And then the kids will win their own parents on side through sharing 
their experiences um, back to them. I think that's a hugely powerful message, as you say. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. So no, keep keep doing what you're doing. Um, just just kind of take it back. You mentioned kind of the markers for success. I think that kind of ties in what you're talking about there. So when when you were sitting down to kind of set this up or kind of put some plans in place, were you were you thinking about what those markers might be based on previous experiments, based on conversations with other people, or or again was that just a kind of discovery? We'll just start down the path with no real idea of the the navigational marker and just see what evolves there or is it somewhere in between like how how have you guys kind of gone about understanding and putting in place if they are put in place what those markers are probably the engagement it's the scale oh yeah but it started off as in a traditional sense so mo this came from i approached the regional team and i said i'd like to connect and how do we support you and you know bring in players to us so we can be a support for RGC in the region. And the discussion didn't go in the direction I thought it would. And I thought, actually, I've got a school full of kids. I'll make my own athletes. And my approach then was if I can make everyone athletics, and we looked at, you know, what were barriers to that. So we looked at functional movement. And that underpins everything. It's can we make better movers? And that will improve their engagement and their self-determination. And then we were like, okay, what's our metrics then for success? And again, it came from being told that we needed to have a leveling system, which I was uh, uh, didn't agree with. And I actually, again, despite the last couple of days, I am quite positive 99% of the time. But I said, actually, there's always a positive in here. So we turned it on its head and we created an engagement system. So one to 10, everything on there is accessible. You can get. So we have kids in year five that are a level 10. My job or our job is to keep them at level 10. So we've got to create that environment and the culture that means that little little Johnny or, or Sean wants to continue to be that kid. And the other ones is that we can try and present the information is that they want to access some of this. So they move along. So that's the metric for that success and why. I've got confused now. This is, this is the head injuries talking, Phil. So... so um... To give an example, if, uh, if there there will be extracurricular sessions on open to everybody, if you choose to engage in that provision, then you go up a level, not based on your natural abilities as an athlete. It's are you deciding to access um, what's on offer? Uh, so you could be uh, the greatest gifted, you know, 15-year-old in the school but chooses to disengage with everything uh, so your level is not as high as you know the, the, the child who has dyspraxia but wants to you know come along to everything their level is higher um and, but again but it, but it places the emphasis yeah, on those then yeah to make sure actually is why, are the, why are they not engaging uh is the environment right have we have we used what I might talk about? Have we used those motivational interviewing techniques to understand their motivations, to help them and to internalize um, their enjoyments? Is it a competency, competency thing? And are we supporting that? So it actually takes the emphasis and, and heavily base it back on us, which you know is as it should be. We're not here just to observe and, and, and tick and, and, and look at, are they passing through certain waypoints? It's, it's actually what we're doing to to create that those opportunities for them 
I, I think we'll save the discussion about how you go about doing that with the individual, what that conversation looks like for yeah. your bit, Ross. But so in terms of um, how how do you set out what the levels are? How is that shared? Do um, do they know who's at another level? Like, is it a leaderboard? Is it internally competitive? Or is it, again, coming back to just a little bit more self-determined? I'm on my own journey at my own speed. No one else will know what my level is or, or do they just start sharing it themselves? Like how, how does that look? Give me, give me a bit more information on that. The levels aren't important. I remember having to share levels with kids in other combat, even like sitting them down at the beginning of PE lessons and saying, do you know what you're, you know, no one cares. I'm 44. I'm going to run out on Saturday for my local rugby team. My level is, it's not the level of the, the lad who's played regional rugby. But I'm still, I'm having fun and I'm engaged. So we're all winning. So I think, I think for them, it's, we're aware. They're obviously aware through their reports. We write really detailed reports uh, at, at Christmas and summer for them. But again, that's, that's a parental thing. But for them, we're, we're constantly aware of their engagement and their aptitude and their wants. And it's, and it's, and it is nuanced because you will be aware of a kid who's disengaging. And, and there are some, that we're stumped with and we do try to, but that's that's the nature of everything. You're not, you can't win it all. But like I say, because we're not having to control and manage all the sessions and control and manage every kid, we're controlling the environment and then supporting their engagement with it, we can be a little bit more nuanced because it isn't it isn't so time consuming. So we know that though those year nine girls are coming into that session, but this one isn't. And we could say we can have a discussion. It could be, well, actually, I'm doing this outside of school. Well, that's cool. You are engaging. And she said, I would be there, but I, I'm fatigued. Brilliant. We'll, we'll move you. Um, and then there's things like, so into house competitions for us are a segue. How are you, you know, we, we make them so uh, engaging and, and accessible that we want everyone to have a go at this. It is about that engagement level. Um, and then the inter-school competitions, you know, there are kids who have this perception that there's this mythical level of, you know, they have, no, we'll never place you in that situation. That's the culture. And then the next step is progression to outside of school, but that's a, a social thing. We want them to experience being with different people and different methodologies so they can experience that for themselves as people. And then uh, there's a performance at the very, very top. So are you going to, a local club and playing continuous and, and, and consistently. So it's it's more, because what we want is a kid to walk out of school and be able to say, I'll have a go at that, I'll do that, I'm competent in that, I see value in that, you know, and I feel good about myself and, and, and in engaging in that. So that's that's our approach. And just, yeah, just bring it back to the level. <laughs> uh, what's probably more important than them understanding uh, where they're at is knowing why. Um, and and that comes back to the, the way finding and learning how they best learn is can they reflect and, and can we support them in reflecting? Um, so if they can understand why their their journey has taken a certain direction, then I think that's more powerful than just placing a label on it and saying you are this. Uh, at the moment, you're displaying behaviours that uh, indicate these things, and and this is why, rather than you are one of these people, um, you know, over to you, <laughs> which uh, is how the system sort of currently exists. 
a bit more widely. How do you find the level of engagement with, uh, I want to say, like gamification, um, video game design, that type of stuff? Interestingly, as I read not too long ago, maybe like Christmas time, just around, and there was a good discussion on if if we move to these type level, not not in the same way we've just talked about the levels, but if we move to kind of in session external points, lots of lots of rewards and this type of stuff, is it really changing? the the shifting to an extrinsic motivation rather than intrinsic for individuals and actually then when we're kind of coming to self-determination based theory are we damaging the chance of delivering that effectively or enabling that effectively because we're setting up lots and lots of stuff where they're searching and trying to get external reward so i'd be really interested in just in terms of your guys thoughts on is that something you've noticed like do how do you find the kids engage with that type of stuff when you want autonomous self-directed learners yeah yeah that's a it's a great question and people talk about the difference between video game design and and gamification and that there is some different definitions out there but i think it comes back to understanding the principles of motivation so generally we're trying to steer away from extrinsic motivation um, and we're trying to through questioning and affirmation versus praise we're trying to help the kids internalize their experiences um, so that they start to engage because of the joy of engaging rather than the end product sometimes you you have to offer uh, an extrinsic reward so they can do the thing for long enough to start to internalize it but but that is the skill of the practitioner so if if you um if you always use extrinsic means then as soon as that's removed it just dies but you there's no hard and fast rules here we're not saying you can't use a reward if you want them to engage in a behavior but then are you once they've engaged in that behavior are you helping them to recognize what they've just done and that experience um it's a tool isn't it yeah it's a tool and and gamification isn't you you progress through a level to get the reward it's you progress through the level to get to a more engaging level because your skills and competencies have improved um so that could, again puts the onus back on you as the coach or the teacher to make sure that's in your design um and actually we don't always know what that's going to be for the kids so can you co-create can you ask them uh, you know, yesterday we gave a group of year eights a brief. Um, we wanted to play a game of like 360 rugby with this ball. Um, and these are the rules around contact. That's our side of it. But now can you guys come up with two different ways of scoring a point system and one additional rule that you think is going to uh, stretch and challenge you? And, and what comes out of that is stuff that we would have never thought of because we, we are not living in their worlds. We don't understand the, the cultural nuances of their social group and all those factors but we have created the, the sort of initial blueprint for that environment and then we're going to say right what's level two look like uh, i'd like there to be these things in but what are you going to bring to level two and it naturally develops momentum that way and actually the, the motivation that comes out of that is really intrinsic it's really strong because they own so much of it um so it can't be external because it's theirs uh so yeah i think it's is it steering away from this perception of templating you know everybody wants to go on a cpd and walk away with something oh 
yeah. Whereas in reality, I think reflective practicing is, is the key. Uh, we talk about, we're going to write a book one, aren't we? Called The Long Walk Up. My knees aren't as good as they used to be. So we walk through the woods and it takes an extra six, seven minutes. But that is the reflection time. So we may walk away from a session, session and I've gone, that was a bomb there. And Ross will look at it and say, oh, well, I looked over and I could see X, Y, Z occurring from that. He said, oh, mine, I, I also, this didn't work. I said, well, and then that bit of questioning teases out what's actually successful. So to go in and think we'll use leveling and levels as our sole uh, way of engagement would be, obviously, it's, a, it's, it's wrong because we, it needs to be part of a process and understanding it, it, it's, you're not having to choose one. You know, it, it's... Uh, it's the, it's the Pizza Hut salad area, you know, take a bit of everything because we don't have to stand and put our flag up in one camp and we're happy. We, we talk about, we kind of appeared in this room four or five years ago when it was like, there's loads of stuff that I'm doing that looks like some of the stuff I'm reading about. We just started labelling it really. And now we're, we're nothing, we're just, we're just us. And all practitioners should, should be comfortable in being themselves, you know, because Phil... I am quite laid back and I love a joke and I like people, but some Ross is a little bit more reserved and that's ace. Bit B Ross, you know, but he's great at noticing things and he's got a really calm manner about him. Because I get a bit hyped up and, and I tell bad jokes and, and give people silly nicknames, but that's me. It doesn't mean I'm being unprofessional. I'm trying to create my connections. And in the same way with your session design, it's what might I need to put in to elicit the responses I need to 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 manoeuvre myself to the to a point that I feel is right, you know, that, which could be a session, it could be a year, or something within the skills concept I want to develop. I think. And I have to, I have to say, I'm really disappointed there that you go to Pizza Hut and you have the salad. Like I'm, I'm trying to, trying to just process that to be honest. So give me. You want to see our P department? I bought donuts, <laughs> red velvet cake, and cookies today because I was grumpy yesterday. So it's my parents. <laughs> so yeah, we're. Well, I use salad. <laughs> oh, good man. Um, what what I think you guys have talked about there really nicely is is just actually the use of scaffolding, and and I find when I talk about it, I actually find scaffolding quite a difficult concept <laughs> to explain to people because without really hard and fast examples, which I think it, it gets lost somewhere between people thinking you just rock up and you don't have a plan and you just crack on and and you know create a session out of nothing, and people that plan to the nth degree in terms of what's going to be said and when and the time, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's somewhere in that kind of really delicate balance in the middle. And I think this is what the best coaches do. They can just use a mechanism, as you say, video game design or gamification, or whatever it is to scaffold the session for individuals to differentiate, to then be in a position where actually it, it can still be the player's session. It can be Phil's session. I can be learning all the stuff I want to learn from it. You guys can learn all the stuff you want to learn from it. But actually, there's a mechanism that just enables it not to just descend into 25 people just doing their own thing and then no no cohesion and no kind of, you know, general development towards some sort of agreed end goal. And I, th I think you captured that really nicely there. So, um, yeah, no, really nice. That wasn't necessarily a question, but I just think it's a, a great explanation of a of quite a maybe it's not abstract but I, ju I just think people struggle to visualize that do you know what I mean we talk about scaffolding quite a lot and I'm, I'm just not sure coaches actually really see what it is and, and Carl Woods talked before Christmas on an episode about just just not really planning 
you know, just just kind of again, almost that little bit of wayfinding. He talked about architects and and you know people building um, stonemasons building yeah. fantastic yeah. cathedrals. Like that one. Oh, it's a great episode, wasn't it? And he speaks so well about it. And and you kind of just I was watching a um, a reel on YouTube, uh, Instagram, and they started off with a, a cut down tree trunk. And the guy just starts chipping away and, you know, gets his chainsaw and starts doing all this stuff and it ends up being a, a Chinese kind of warrior with a dragon above it. And I'm just going, like, how, how have you got the, like, you've clearly got the skills to be able to do all of that, but how have you pictured that? Has that, did you draw a sketch out and it looks exactly the same? Or did you just crack on and you went, I'll make this up as I go along? Well, it's probably somewhere in the middle because I doubt it's the same picture as what they had at the start, but it's still a phenomenal outcome. So, yeah, it's... it's I, think, I think we have, to, isn't it? Yeah, we have to plan to be adaptable, not rather than plan to create safety and, and uh, control. It's actually... And that's where that reflection comes in. So uh, it's not going to happen straight away, but it you're going to learn more from observing and reflecting than you are by trying, by fighting to stick to this rigid plan, like even when it's not working. Um, because yeah. th then you'll just get pigeonholed into, okay, so next time your, your reflection is going to be solely based on bringing them back to that plan rather than actually what did I notice in which direction could I have took that? Um, so yeah, can we plan to be adaptable? Love it. Um, I think that's probably a good point to pause it. So Ross, we'll come over to you. Um, yeah. So what is it you're going to kind of chat to us about? Uh, so we've already touched on quite a lot of the points. Um, so it, it should flow quite nice. But I, I looked at coaching athletes to be their best, which is uh, Stephen Rolnick's explanation of motiv motivational interviewing in sports. Um, and kind of the reason this is, is so key to everything we do is because uh, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Um, and this is a, this is a human interaction uh, business that we're in of coaching and teaching. So if we're going to create these, these learning environments, actually, how do we um, create the motivational conditions and climate for the kids or the athletes to want to explore them? Um, and it's just, he, uh, Stephen Rolnick just really simply outlines uh, a conversational process uh, that you can use to to help kids or athletes to internalize some of the stuff they're experiencing um i mean it's a really applied book for coaches uh, there's lots of tasks in there and sort of conversation role play and some really cool imagery uh, so it's been one of the most sort of influential reads that, that i've come across 100 uh, use it every day all interactions um the key i'd say is is listening it's a tough one to get right isn't it it's is a tough one to get right it does take a lot of practice we are fortunate in the sense that we we do this you know for hundreds of hours a week with lots of kids so we can we can practice it but um it starts off with listening so rather than uh, listening to somebody because you have an agenda and you're waiting for your opportunity to reply it's actually can you notice the things they're saying? And then can we repeat them back to that person, which we call a listening state, statement, um, so that they can then understand, yes, this person is engaging with me, they're listening, they're open. And then uh, can we start to help them summarize some of the challenges that they're facing uh, 
so that you actually become a sounding board for that person rather than uh, a fixer or uh, the person who has to solve all these problems. It's actually, you're just there to guide them through um, as they navigate the problems themselves, which fits really nicely with the way we design our lessons and our coaching sessions because uh, we use a questions-based approach. There's lots of problems for them to solve, but that all will fall down if, if our language, language skills aren't up to point and, and we start to, to hijack their own uh, attempts to solve these problems. So that, that's why it's been massive for us, really. And do you do that? I definitely see the application in a one-to-one feedback you know, let's sit down, let's have almost an IDP type conversation because you've probably got a little bit more time and there's probably yeah. a little bit more detail. Like, how do you do this on the fly in a, in a session, in a lesson? Is that is that just way harder? Did you, did you find that slightly easier because it's it's just almost a micro engagement so you can yeah. kind of just listen straight away. You haven't got the time to almost formulate answers. Somebody's just coming to you going, blah, 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 runs away again. Do you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you find the difference? Yeah, 100%. So there's an analogy, there's a... There's, a, there's an imagery in the book that we really like, and, and I think I've said it a couple of times on various podcasts and things, but um, if you imagine your group of athletes or students um, with a balloon amongst them that they share, and obviously a balloon will fall back to the floor, your role as a practitioner, when you see that balloon, which represents their conversation and their question of each other drop onto the floor, you throw another question in and the balloon lifts up and then they knock you're doing all this from the edge of the environment. You're trying not to own and manipulate the direction of their own process of internalizing what's going on. Um, and it does take practice. Uh, but if, if you stick to open questions when you genuinely want them to explore an answer, then you can't go too far wrong. Um, other sort of practical stuff we can start to think about as coaches is we're all giving praise, but can we be better at that? So rather than uh, generic praise, can you notice what do they do well and just verbalize that um, in your coaching sessions so they can put a stamp on it then. Uh, so rather than, oh, great play, well, what was great about the play? Can you just let them know? Uh, and it, that's really simple and we can all practice that tomorrow. Um, Transversely, unlucky. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. We are all guilty of I really love the fact you try to put that footwork in or, you know, that was a really good connection with that kick. But, you know, Barry, was it the right thing? To, you know, is that the right place to do it, Barry, under your own post? Yeah. As a tighter prop. And you're modelling those behaviours for the kids then and the athletes. Yeah. And, and actually, you, you, you can <laughs> authentically say to a kid then who, who's sort of jumping on somebody else's mistake, is that how, how we uh, support that individual or... Uh, are we are we pleased that they've taken that opportunity because it was on? Uh, do we are we that bothered that it didn't come off that time? Do we want them to try it again? Um, so we got a responsibility to model that, uh, and I think asking using affirmation instead of praise, whether that's to an individual or a whole group, is a great way of showing them that that's possible, and and they start to notice themselves the benefits of doing that as well. Stepping out the way, yeah. Be I think there's a, so much of the culture of. I can almost see kind of like Jack Rowell in the middle of a coaching session leading the session, whereas we're not on the pitch or we're not sitting the test for the kids or we're not, you know, striking a ball for them. Uh, and we do need to step back. 
And I'd say just to go back to the, the thinking inboxes, that allows as well, we see that the kid's gone out and we can use MI then to start those phrases. So I'll, Ross, I, I see you've removed yourself from the lesson. I'm, I'm really pleased you've regulated in that way. Um, you know, and that, that starts off your conversation. So yeah, it would be very tough in a group of 30 kids, but when you have little things like that almost highlighting, actually, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing well here, I'm stepping out. You can do it very quickly. And it could be, yeah, this is a big one. I'm going to need to do that. The others is, is, is these incidental collisions. We're not confined to a classroom. You know, we could talk to kids uh, going across the yard or we bump into them in the queue. So, you know, it can be felt like, you know, um, you seem to be uh, struggling with your, the, I don't know, that piece of work at the moment. Um, your work rate seems to have dropped down. Is, it, is that something you've noticed as well? And then those conversations can start up. So it, it's, it's as well, you know, I think in a coaching environment as well, we have those, don't we? The kids are coming out at different rates. It could be at the end and we're picking the cones up and we can, it's being uh, aware of when those conversations can happen. Yeah, the goal of the feedback you're giving is not to uh, fix a problem in the moment, it's to help them generate a curiosity in fixing their own problems that they face in their lives. And that <coughs> goes way beyond sport and, and yeah. PE, uh, and, it, and it becomes uh, part of that person's skill set and strength, super strengths going forward. So, you know, that's why it's been so influential for us, because I can see how uh, the kid that's had exposure to this through his team sport lessons, that's never probably going to play team sport um, when they leave, uh, because that's just not their personality. They might engage in a different form of physical activity. I can see how their understanding of empathy and um, each other is really going to stand them in good stead going forward. I'm going to jump back a little bit if I can, um, just yeah. around the, the kind of listening piece. How how did you both practice active listening? Could, uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because we can literally, uh, unless you know, you're know you hearing impaired, we can literally do this from day one. So we're never, I don't ever remember being taught how to listen. Like that's it, you just go, it's a sense, I can do it. Everyone can listen in the same way. That clearly isn't the case. So how, how did you actually construct your practice or your, your development of active listening? Global pandemic. Is. Yeah. No, no, really. So we, we went online and just went, oh, Jesus, we're like, we're redundant. And it's, it's that point we thought we, were, we, we thought we were pretty good. And then we realised that we were the centre of all motivation. And that's where self-determination came in. We talked to a fantastic lady. She's now a little John Rawls, Katie Fitton-Davis, and she was ace. And it really helped us frame, like, what, what motivation is. Then we started to realise that uh, setting them tasks was kind of facile, so we create create the environment for them to engage on their own. And then, obviously, it, you know, it's we, you know, we were locked away, and the world has stopped. And we noticed that certain kids either actively sought us out, or parents or teachers. So from that, we were able to have teams talks. And at this point, um, who was it, Greg? Right. Who puts on to uh, Stephen Olmick? Or was it? I don't know Stephen Olmick. 
Maybe, but yeah, he's so, Rusty's, so, he gets too much credit, doesn't he? But he is Rusty's hero, so he doesn't shut up about it. Well, he, he, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do my own Mickey press. I'm starting, I'm eating a peach in Cardiff, Wales. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. So, hey, I hope we're not really, geez, we've, got, we've got a Zoom call with him tomorrow, actually. So yeah. just don't put it out by then. But um, it was, it honestly, like a, it is a Bible, and I think it allowed us to start to, to utilize it. So quite literally, you're on a call, but then you you had a the book allowed us to frame how to listen. So you were listening. You were the kid, the kid would give a, a series of whatevers. Some some kids difficult, yeah. and that's where you had to use the, the questioning to elicit the responses, and then the active listening to pick out the important parts and reply. But that really framed when we came back. We've got lads who you know, north of England, the Welsh of the twenties. And we've used this stuff with them, yeah. you know, and, it, and it, it's been hugely powerful because it allows us to have a level of support because we're not, we are not fixers. We're helping them fix their own problem. Yeah, but practically, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That's the key point. It's the Stephen Rolnick calls it fix, uh, fixing the writing reflex. If you can understand the, the very first thing you should do before you try and have these conversations is, you do not need to fix this person's problem. And then that, that gives you the, the freedom to almost relax, take a breath. You don't need to start <coughs> preempting a solution. You can just focus on listening. And then your only job is, can you notice the key things in what they're saying and repeat that back to them? But I, I, I genuinely think you can only start to practice that when you, you have a, a word with yourself first, you're yeah. gonna have this conversation, I'm not going to try and fix it for them. I really want to work out what the problem is first. I may offer some suggestions. I'm probably going to ask permission first before I do that. But my primary role is to understand them and what they're saying. And if you have that conversation with yourself first, then you're setting yourself up to be more engaged in listening to what they have to say. So I think practically, that's probably a good place to start. And I think from a, like, a, you know, you, you, you pick up the codes from, uh, Barry under 15s and you notice that you know John's been off his game and it's I've no so that can be your in and also when you realize I'm not going to solve John's problems between the rugby posts and the change rooms and the say it doesn't matter where we are we're not going to finish solve the problems from the beginning to the end of this conversation you know so we need to and and we are we're selling and this is the part I think we do with so many kids we're selling them short by thinking that us as adults possess the answers to solve their problems. What we're doing is we're probably stunting their emotional growth and ability. To, it sounds, it all sounds very deep and meaningful, but sport and the, the vessel that it, 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 it encompasses is such a powerful medium for social and psychological development. You know, because hey, they've chosen to engage in that thing. So let's, there's so many learning pathways for them. But that means as coaches, we should also be aware of how we, the, the role that we can play to develop these kids. So, yeah, realizing that I don't possess a magic wand to, 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 to magic away John's problems, but I can help John reflect. And I, I'm using the correct methodologies. I can support him to solve his own problems. Not, not all the time, but that's the aim. Yeah. Do you think that separates, and, and not to say for, you know, a mentoring experience might be slightly different, but I'm, I'm, just wondering whether 
the relationship you have because obviously in, in terms of your roles in the majority it's adult to child how do you find that in terms of adult to adult so if you're mentoring somebody do, do you think it works the same is is that a little bit more around actually how you've contracted that relationship because actually it may very well have been if you sat down in a one-to-one and you've, you've kind of appointed yourself a mentor and you've said sometimes i i want your advice because you've done this before me like what are some of the solutions so how how do you find that kind of maybe works in other environments or doesn't first off i'll say it's much harder with adults in my own experience and i'm just going to jump in do you think that's because the experiences they've had have created that that block so they've not had anybody help them solve their problems yeah and they're and they're and they're 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 resistant to that because they're an adult whereas if they have come to this process of being able to be supported and reflect you know there are people as a group i think we're quite good at supporting each other and we have used mi with each other and it but it is harder 100 yeah it's, it's the, the perception the person you're talking to has of themselves yeah which is based on what they think you feel about them that makes it very messy um <laughs> I think it's easier to do uh, as a, a sort of naive expert, as somebody that's um, outside of that circle of expectations of each other, unless you're all really open and have that shared understanding that, that this is going to be the approach, which we do have. Um, if somebody is genuinely in a crisis, all they want is somebody to listen. Uh, but then at the, on the on the more day-to-day level, I think it's a cultural thing. We just, we ask a question because we want uh, an answer. And sometimes being asked a question back can yeah. can cause a frustration. Um, but it's like we've mentioned a few times on, on this, re- this recording, once you go through that sort of messy period, the end outcome is much, much stronger. And, and it actually has more um, longevity in it, and, and you probably build a stronger relationship, but you will have to go through that. Hang on, I've asked you a question, you haven't answered my question. And, and it, if you persevere, I think it, it grows to become some, some quite a strong connection. Culturally accepted. Isn't it? Yeah. I always find that the fascinating bit with, with I guess, mentoring because it's it's slightly more detached. Do you know what I mean? You might you might talk every other week or every month or something like that, but it's it's not the same as being in a team with people. It's not where you're seeing them every day or three or four times a week. And actually you then kind of change the timeline of well, how long will it get us, like it take us to get to a point where we're really comfortable? And and that could be like six, eight, 10, 12, 24 months. Do you know what I mean? It could be just so much longer than any other relationship we have just because of the nature of how intermittent it is. And I, I do wonder often, actually, do we do we give ourselves enough permission as um, practitioners and developing those relationships just around the timeline? Like, are, are we expecting something to be really, really strong and really deep and, and kind of getting through that really quickly because that's what the majority of our life is whereas actually do do we ever really kind of sit back and go no it's fine for this still to feel slightly awkward eight months down the line because this is probably the eighth or tenth time i've spoken to this person in any other walk of life like i'm not speaking to somebody 10 times if i bump into them in a coffee shop every other week 
and we're getting to a stage where we're like sharing you know deepest darkest secrets and i and i yeah i, I it, it just seems to be this almost kind of slightly abstract version of of where we sit as practitioners sometimes around this type of stuff i think and I, it'd be interesting to you whether you guys you know similar experiences or you think the same or different um i suspect like any relational isn't it it does it, it takes time to build those connections um we we'll probably find the 18s girls yeah you're finding you, i can't you can't just you can't just rock up and mi a load of girls and because you have no it's got to be a context but i think the softly approach as in I, you know i'm noticing that that didn't go so well for you do you have any reflections on on and on why or whatever it is it can be gentle to begin with but it is important to to have that understanding that it would take time yeah and it and it's, it's said a thousand times but it's so important i i don't care how much you know until i know that you care and so your skills as a practitioner in noticing things are probably your your best friend like yeah and it creates a safety so like the girl who injured her knee last week this week i might say how's that knee faring this week you know are we in a better place and and that happens thank you so much you know and then automatically that i've teed myself up for a, a question in relation to what might happen in the next hour then because we've the levels of safety have risen because we've got that connection and if you start with a positive in terms of a human interaction you're creating an openness in them to be more socially engaged so i would just say practically can we just start noticing more stuff about that person not that player but that person that's in front of us yeah fantastic absolutely love it um time and a place to lead is that is the note i wrote down so you said you know where, where you guys were in terms of you were you were in the middle you were driving all of the motivation um how much has that changed and do you still think there is a time and a place for you to do that is you should take, take the rgc group for example actually with with a group that are pretty pretty inexperienced initially is that about you guys really driving that and and setting that culture and being i guess the focal point from that and then do you just kind of dial it down and step back and enable other people like what what's your process within that is it is it purely down to context and and kind of assessment of the culture and the environment like how what's your process how long is this podcast um i think uh, the girls i think Almost all of it is trust your process. You know, I was quite reticent about doing it because I was, I knew that we had a really short amount of time and I knew the expectations didn't marry. But then when we discussed it, we said, we've got to trust our process. And we're like, culture is king. It eats everything for breakfast. It, it doesn't matter about anything else. Unless your culture is right, it doesn't matter what your sessions look like because it, they'll, they'll, just doesn't work it's a little poor culture will cannibalize everything you know it's like uh that fish that you put in a fish tank and then don't realize it eats all the other fish you know it might look good but it, it will kill everything else so we started the culture and again we we appropriated a few things we talked about um uh like a papa you know the connection and we said that prior to covid was the last time the rgc had a team and that there were the people like uh, chess cars uh, Rachel Taylor, Pierce, we said, as soon as you step onto this pitch, you are constantly connected to those people. We're not going to take that away from you. And as soon as we have that connection, um, it allows us to create 
anything because it's all about the environment. And I'd say it, it is difficult, but yeah. you have to, there are points where you will lead. I'm, I'm a lot more vocal, but, but still, I would never say I would be a ringmaster. I don't think I could ever, we would ever stand in, in the middle. And if you create the right environments, like you said last week about the uh, the gym, Ross is a, I'll say it, Ross is an S&C coach, but he, uh, don't tell Rusty, um, but he's an S he said, literally all I did was wander around because we've there's three people noticing and self-coaching. And all I do is if there's a need, I can interject with a question on support and then move on. It doesn't need to be at the front saying bang, 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 bang. So once you trust in a process to yeah. create that environment, it's hard because we want to see shiny, slick passing, but shiny, slick passing might not transfer to reality. So we have to be able to trust in what we perceive as the right thing or believe and know through experience, research and reflection, and then put that into practice. And I would say most of the time, standing in the middle, leading everything is, is not, it's not the best practice. Well, it wouldn't be authentic for us. Yeah. And, and we <laughs> reflected and developed that knowledge of, of our values and our belief system and approach. And the trust in the process, he said a couple of times there, it's, it's hard at times because you can feel that they need that directness because that's what they're used to. So do you, do you give them that because it's what they need or do you help them to buy into this longer process that we believe will will elicit um, more reflective players and more emotionally intelligent players um, and more curious players. Um, so there is ways to, to, to sort of practically take the middle ground. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, two sides shouting at each other. We need to we need to work in that in that middle as well. And that would be things like you know, you can show them where to look, but not what to see. You can, you can ask them um, why. Uh, you can direct their attention to space, but not tell them how to, uh, how how far into that space to go, or uh, you know exactly what move they should run. And and that way, you are being direct, but you're you're doing it in a way that still leaves space for them to take ownership of of that process themselves. And I think that's how we've probably started thinking back it, it, we've we've been direct in saying these are these are our principles but we want you now to sort of bring them to life and and but we included them as well didn't yeah, we? Yeah. we the first thing we did was ask them what they wanted from us and what did they want from each other and themselves and we we stuck that and we we could and then you could frame that really. it's important though at that point that that doesn't just become like words on the wall you have to bring that to life through everything from your team talks to your practice design like girls you said you wanted support well we think challenge is a form of support so let's all challenge each other and then it's like that teamship thing they've offered it and then we've helped them to create it and then it actually has value and it becomes embedded in in your culture each week so in terms of you mentioned a few times they're trusting your process what would your best advice be for newer coaches that maybe just aren't really sure what their process is because I, th I definitely think you have to have a level of expertise um and it's going to be different for everybody but where you where you are pretty settled on this is who i am this is how i coach this is this is the process this is the mechanism so for those people still discovering that like what what advice would you give um, 
there isn't a template. Yeah. That's the first one. You know, it's almost like a, um, snake oil salesman. You know, this 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 program of development will elicit X, Y, Z. Um, next is I would I would just say you've got to get in contact and talk to people. I'd say the higher level coaches are far more engaging than you would think. And if you send a message, they will get back to you. Like we'll connect with anybody. I literally just because we want other kids to have the same experiences. So I'd say connect. And the final one is is reflect, honest reflection, and you know, marked against where you'd like to be. So, and if you do reflect, and I, I remember doing my PGC, and I was an old, and I took my PGC a little bit later, and um, my reflection pages would be a page, and my actual session plan to be like. A square and a triangle and an arrow. And my let you know my PGCE guy would be like, you plan less than me. And I'm like, it's up here. We'll, we'll be fine. But reflection was really important. You know, how had it gone? Why had it gone like that? What could I maybe adapt and change? So I'd say, and once that comes through, it's like sieving. You know, the the silk, the gold will be revealed, and you'll have what you want to do in your process. I think. Yeah, I'm not a lot to add to that other than. The why is, is much more important than the how. So can you ask yourself that question around everything that you, you try and implement? And if you're noticing that it's not getting beyond the surface level of a technical outcome all the time, then uh, I think that would be an encouragement for you to go deeper. Um, you know, how are they responding to you as a person? Like, are you asking how many questions you ask in the last half an hour? Uh, can you remember any of the answers they gave you? Like that is actually how we reflect on a deeper level, not just did drill A result in outcome B, you know? Uh, there's people doing that. What were their expressions on their faces? Like, were they talking to each other when you weren't around? Um, you know, did you hear any encouragement? Was it positive, was it negative? Like, let's, let's like be really uh, direct in thinking about that stuff because new coaches what is their perception of their role uh, and who's actually supporting them in that because if you look at a coach development route in a lot of instances it's actually are you really technical what's your technical knowledge like but who's saying here's some other things to reflect on like and, and we'll support you in, in coming up with some strategies scaffold in some ways for you to do that as well fantastic uh, yeah brilliant advice um I think that's a really good place just to kind of pause, pause things. So last, last kind of little bit, I guess, is what else, what else would you recommend to people? Books, research papers, webinars, whatever, whatever, you know, you guys have engaged with recently or what's on your, your all time list, where, where else might you direct people for sort of similar information or, or completely different stuff? <laughs> um, I, d I def definitely look into um, motivational models. I think that's just really important. You know, I teach at A level. It's I have to bite my tongue, really. But um, you know, intrinsic, extrinsic. It's just it doesn't work like that. Um, I'd say connect with people. You know, explore. I think the reasons that why and how people learn allows you then to understand why there's a drill, and then maybe to decontextualize the drill to get a better outcome. 
we talk about the fact that there's some amazing people we've interacted with that are very uh, block based and they seem to think that, it, that this approach is not, it's just craziness, but I'm, their knowledge base is immense. And if they just changed the, probably the delivery mechanism, same content could be there, but it would allow loads to come out. Um, I think um, the belonging, just like that's, that's ace, you know? Yeah, that stuff's cool. Like culture, I just love it. Like just being able to see it and, and how it how it's created is just it's just ace. And um, yeah. a, a, anything that helps you create a better culture. And honestly, it sounds it all, people. Uh, I love to dismiss stuff like this that was wishy washy. Like we, we our hashtag at school is being more Fiji. Right, we're a tiny school. Uh, there aren't many kids yet. We're able to go and stand toe to toe to schools of a thousand kids plus and still be very competitive. And we say, you know, there's that comparison of we don't have a we don't have multi-million pound facilities. We we don't have hundreds of people to pick from, but we'll go out with an attitude and a belief and we develop that culture. And everyone can find something they can identify with. So anything culture. Yeah, I don't I, I would just agree and say um you can't talk about anything that you do or involve with, whether it's your coaching or the athletes that you uh, are responsible for or have experience with and, and detach from the environment that that exists within. Yeah. Um, it, it, that's why just taking certain, we can all take ideas from each other, but then we really have to think about how that, how we embed that in our specific context. So, so books like Belonging on Eastwood and, and the one dance, in talking about wayfinding, I think are, are there places to start that aren't necessarily people's go-to. People will, will go for the more technical side of things. And then finally, from probably my own experience, and it sounds simple, but just, just start, get embedded in an environment. You don't have to read the manual before you have a go, like, and, and, and be really comfortable with all that chaos that will into from just throwing yourself in there and if you reflect like we we said then uh, i don't think you can do anything better than just just start having a go at stuff and getting involved fantastic absolutely know that gents this I've, I've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this um i just think we've covered a huge variety of things and you've both spoken um in great depth and with great honesty about all of it so uh thank you very much um i'm going to round up the round up to all those listening uh we hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to an excellent discussion links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on rugby coach weekly as always i'd like to thank you for listening wish you all the best and go well